All right. So, <laughs> hello and welcome to another episode of the Geopolitical Pivot. My name is Samaj Dow, your host. Um, and today is going to be a very interesting um, episode where we're talking about not just cyber warfare, but the recent the recent cyber hackings of the United States of America. Um, if not even just the United States, but literally um, as days go by, we're kind of seeing that this was literally a global um, intelligence um Operate, at least cyber operation conducted allegedly by the Russian SVR. And I say allegedly now and kind of explain later why a lot of people are saying it was actually, in fact, the, the Russian intelligence service that did this. Uh, however, I won't be talking about this alone since I'm now blossoming into my, my cyber um, kind of readings. With me is a very good friend of mine by the name of Kelsey O'Connor, as well as another friend of mine, um, which I hope he'll talk or just be a bystander, is Tyrese Garvey. But so what I'm going to do is um, I'm going to have Kelsey O'Connor kind of introduce herself first and kind of her academic background, our places that she's studied, what, in what has brought her interest into cyber warfare, and then I'm going to have Tyrese kind of also introduce himself and give a little bit of background information about him um, and kind of go in from there in the ebb and flow of why the recent hackings in the United States is of serious national security um, observations, not just for the United States, but also for potentially U.S. allies. So, Kelsey, you have the floor. All right. Well, thank you so much for having me, having me on Samaj. It's my first podcast, so it's a pleasure to be able to to say I've done it with you. Um, so I've recently finished uh, graduate school. I went to King's College London, where I got my degree uh, as a master of master in the Masters of War Studies in the Department of War Studies at King's College London. Um, and before that, I received my bachelor's uh, in international relations from American University in Washington, D.C., where I focused my studies primarily on foreign policy and national security. Um, and during that time, my interests really evolved. I was initially interested in learning more about terrorism, uh, and it later evolved into intelligence and national security, and later became cyber. Uh, when I took uh, internship at the Institute of World Politics, where I actually met, met you, Samaj, I had the pleasure of um, working with two other interns on the cyber intelligence initiative that um, the IWP was working on and starting out. So that's really what got me initially interested in it because most of the classes that I had taken before had not made technology and internet uh, focus uh, as a part of national security and foreign policy. And so once I had taken this internship and I had the opportunity to start building some course material course material, and learn more about it, uh, that's when you know, everything kind of became clear to me and just so many different passions aligned, foreign policy, military, national security, intelligence, all those kind of wrapped around into, into one issue. And I just thought, this, this is it. This is my, this is my passion. This is what I want to do. And mm -hmm. so I was very fortunate that I was able to take that on to King's College, um, into their, the war studies department and take a bunch of cybersecurity classes on policy, strategy, the politics of technology and, and everything. And 
was able to write, you know, a couple of papers on it and, you know, become a little bit more, more knowledgeable, learn, learn a lot more. Um, and so that's, that, that's where I am, you know, just continuing to evolve my, my interest and, you know, emerge into the field. Yes. Let those wings fly. Uh, <laughs> all right. <laughs> You're very welcome. Um, we also had a new addition that just recently joined the, uh, the, the podcast chat, uh, Mr. David Moran just joined a good friend of mine. Um, we're going to have you introduce yourself after Tyrese Garvey. So now Tyrese, you have the floor, my good sir. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. This is also my, uh, my, my first podcast I've ever, ever been in. Um, whilst my uh, academic is uh, probably not as impressive as uh, the rest of the participants in the, in the, uh, in the podcast, um, uh, I've been a digital consult, digital marketing consultant now uh, for, the, for the last few years, working for companies such as Ford Motor Company. Um, I've worked with football clubs and uh, you know, race courses and all that sort of stuff across the UK. Um, and now I'm a, well, I serve as a head of marketing for a um, in the in the agri tech culture, uh, agri tech industry. Um, so so yeah, that's that's really my background, and it'll be interesting to to see. And get involved in this conversation about how um, you know, the, the 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 world of um, cyber warfare is is affecting our everyday lives. So yeah, not 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 anywhere as impressive <laughs> in terms of uh, you know I haven't even gone to university. So um, so yeah, that, that's that's me. Nice nice and short, and uh, it'd be interesting to to see where this goes. It's a pleasure to have you. We've been friends for. Literally like decades now. Yeah. It's a pleasure to bring you now, I guess, into my my world of, of solitude and book smarts. Um, and now, David Moran, are you there? I know you're there. I am. Oh, I am. You grew am. your hair out. I am out. here. <laughs> what? You grew your hair out. Yes. Yeah. It looks a lot different than that profile photo, right? Yeah, no, it does. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, this is also my first podcast. I'm a little late, um, having a bit of a quick, slow turnaround today um, for various outside factors. Um, but I am currently um, a recent graduate of George Mason University, same as um, our host here, Samaj. Um, we've been friends since my first semester when I transferred there back in fall of 18. Jesus. Yeah, I know. It's, it's been over two years already. Um, but I just graduated from Mason with a degree, degree I believe the same as you, Samaj, in uh, government and international politics with a minor in history. Um, I have varying interests in cybersecurity and politics, but more specifically, I'm very interested in um, diplomacy, intelligence, and civil slash human rights. Mm -hmm. um, and my own experience, um, don't have a master's degree, but I'm, I'm thinking about that um, for, in my future. But I have a few very um, unique, have, I've been fortunate to have a few very unique experiences in Congress and in DC. I was able to work for a US Senator for a spring, spring semester, and then I was able to do door-to-door -door canvassing for the ACLU. And then I was able to get an internship um, through Samaj here and some, and some other people at the Institute of War Politics uh, a year ago that I finished up. And since then, you know, I've just been focusing on 
finishing my degree and dealing with some other personal health issues, but I'm really looking forward to this episode and where this podcast is going to go. And I hope to be a, a daily, a weekly contributor when it turns into that. Yeah. Well, thank you for making me feel as old as I feel. Um, <laughs> that was amazing. Uh, <laughs> so now it's time to really get into the nitty gritty of the the problem. And that was the, the revelations of the, the hackings of a multitude of, of U.S.-based federal government agencies. Um, I read somewhere uh, the other day that three states were also hacked, but it really wasn't um, described as which states were part of that hacking. Um, and some of, some of those, those agencies, actually I have a list here, uh, some of those agencies included the Department of Commerce, the Department of Homeland Security, the Pentagon, the Department of Treasury, the U.S. Postal Service, the National Institute of Health, the Department of, of Energy, but more particularly the National Nuclear Security Administration, which oversees U.S. Um, nuclear stockpiles. Um, but they were only able to get really into the the unclassified part, which obviously makes sense. You, If you want to have classified information, you have to have it really classified, you know. Um, and there's a fear that, you know, potentially Microsoft um, may have been... Um, one of the 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 targets which to me is even more scarier um, because of just how much information goes through microsoft based programs as well as how many people utilize microsoft for emails um, as well as utilizing it for the storagings or creating of different documentations of various degrees um, according to microsoft over 40 government agencies, uh, companies, and think tanks were part of this massive, massive cyber operation. And some of these organizations were able to hit companies in Canada and Mexico, Belgium, Spain, the United Kingdom, Israel, and United Arab Emirates. Um, but so but a lot of people may ask, well, how in the world did a, a cyber operation, let's say allegedly by Russia, be able to be it? To, uh, to such a large scale. And so, Kelsey, um, since this is basically your background, um, how, in a way, I guess, when we're talking about cyber warfare, why is it so difficult um, to determine who is re directly responsible for a cyber operation? Um, you, all you hear is allegedly Russia. You hear is allegedly, oh, we allege it was this country, this person, so on. So why is it only allege rather than, oh, we know for a fact it was Russia? Well, thank you for calling it my area of expertise. Well, Certainly. I <laughs> don't know if it's quite warranted yet, but... Um, it will be. It, well, I think I, the, the, the little ego is, is appreciative, I guess, of that. Just let it out. Just let it, <laughs> it out. It is. Um, but yes, so you were talking about how it's how it is so difficult and how the the word that's always being used is is allegedly. And the, the answer to that can be pretty much summarized into one word, which is attribution. And attribution in cybersecurity is one of the, if not the most difficult thing to do, because 
so many hackers can, you know, depending on their, their level of you know, sophistication or how experienced the, the hacker is, can mask their IP address. So even, so say if a hacker was coming from, you know, if it came from, you know, Moscow or if it, you know, St. Petersburg, um, if the, if the hacker was knowledgeable enough, they could mask their IP address to, to say, oh no, I'm actually in Australia or, or they're in, you know, whatever country that, whatever country that they, they deem, you know, to, to be fit for, for their, their purpose. Um, so because of that, it is so difficult to to determine why or how somebody was able to mm-hmm. to hack or where exactly they were coming from, but also how many people were involved in mm-hmm. the hack. Because you know, sometimes if, if somebody is smart enough, it can be that their own self. You know, mm-hmm. it can just be one person or it could be a whole organization. So you know, it's it's difficult to to say there. Um, in terms of the recent mm-hmm. uh, hacks, one of the uh, so the the news sources were pretty much the, the the media was pretty much the one that kind of was like, oh, it's it, it might likely they were the ones that were specifying, oh, it might likely be you know, Russia or mm-hmm. you know, specifically APT twenty nine, Cozy Bear, um, and but you know FireEye when FireEye was hacked did not explicitly come out and say, oh, you know, it was them for a fact. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, what that kind of points to is this issue of, well, well not, not particularly an issue, but it's where companies or, or individuals kind of attribute based on like characteristics. Mm-hmm. So you know, if they're seeing, you know, code and they analyze code, does it look similar to another attack mm-hmm. where, a similar, you know, similar code, similar malware was used, or you know, sometimes Cozy Bear, you know, Russia can be quite loud in, in the sense that you, you you know when you've been hacked, <laughs> it's mm-hmm. not super quiet. And um, I think that was so what the kind of characteristics. Um, that was one of the things they were talking about, where they were saying that essentially. So how, for those who don't know, how Solar Winds was essentially hacked uh, was that it wasn't necessarily like a kick in the front door, like hey. I want your software program. It was more so of a a Trojan horse per se, where they essentially were able to implement their own their own code within the software, and solar was it solar winds essentially not recognizing the altered codes, if they were able to, um, yeah. they essentially signed off on it as kind of a an update software package. And yes. sent it to their customers, and once the the packet was downloaded, that Russian code was then able to seep into the, I guess, the inner workings of the cyber infrastructure. Of, yes, of and the if, companies. If, if people want to look more more into it, that that's what's called like a digital certificate. Okay. So it's where that it gets, um, pretty much like like you know signed off that mm-hmm. you know the the owner. Yeah, it gives like a, a pair of like electronic en- encryption keys that can be used mm-hmm. to encrypt information, you know, digitally. So um, when somebody is receives that and they receive a digital certificate, those are quite hard to obtain. Mm-hmm. And so if in a, if an employee gets something to to download, 
um, like this specific update, which actually came from the SolarWinds servers, an employee is going to trust that because they're going to say, okay, this is my company. You know, I, I, I work for them. This is the digital certificate. Um, there, there was no reason to ever suspect anything because the malware or the, 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 the Trojan horse was so, it was so well hidden. Mm-hmm. It was so well crafted that everything was running so fun, you know, so functionally, so smoothly, mm-hmm. nobody suspected anything. So nobody, you know, raised their hand and said, Hey, mm-hmm. um, we, we need to have this investigated. This needs to be looked into mm-hmm. because everything was running functionally. So right. when the update happened, like you were talking about, they were going to to trust it. And then by the time they found out, like most late. things, it was too late. It was too late. <laughs> um, so just to play devil's advocate now, um, they're saying that, oh, some of the, now that they're looking at the, the remnants of whoever did it, they're saying that most of the software could have been potentially written in Cyrillic. Well, let's say if somebody or another actor, state or non-state actor, had the the cyber wherewithal um, to essentially establish a complicated, a comprehensive software program to then raise tensions between Russia and the United States. Is that a is that a, a possible um, outcome or at least an avenue of approach? Because I mean, if we're looking at it. You know, plausible deniability is the number one thing that you want to do for cyber operations, which is Iran is a very good expert with plausible deniability. So let's say there's a particular country, I'm not saying that it is Iran or Russia or China, or the case may be, or a non-state actor, but if they have the cyber um, capabilities or sophistication to be able to develop a Trojan horse of this magnitude to then blame the Russians for it, then what, what could that mean then for... You know, the the future of cyber war, if I could essentially start a war between two countries um, by <laughs> by making it appear as if it was another country, but it was literally me in my basement the entire time. So is that a possible um, option of looking at, let's say, if it is, if it is Russia, then OK, we will deal with it. But if it wasn't Russia, how was the said country or non-state actor? able to produce literally an operation to instigate plausible deniability to save themselves, but then cast the blame to someone else. Well, first of all, I wouldn't put that past you, Smosh. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. No, I'm kidding. But I, I mean... I'm, I'm kidding. We, we, we all need a good laugh. Uh, we do. These days. So uh, I thought I would give everyone a good laugh. I see David agrees. Wow, uh, David. <laughs> You're supposed to be my friend. <laughs> um, but but no, back to back to what we were saying. Um, I think it's it's all still new. I mean, mm-hmm. technically speaking, everything that we're seeing right now, disinformation campaigns, misinformation campaigns, hacking all of that has existed before. Yeah. They're like this, this is nothing new. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so, so that, that, that first and foremost kind of, you know, I think needs to, needs to be said, Mm -hmm. uh, you could even, you know, go back to, um, 
think is the the, the start of you know like, uh, World War One. You know the, the falsifying of the the papers mm-hmm. um, that that the Zimmer the infamous Zimmerman you know telegram for mm-hmm. example. Um, you can you go back go back to that. You know it's there's still you know it's still you know shrouded in some mystery. Mm-hmm. You know if if you will. So same thing for Operation Trust with the Russians. Um, exactly. Yes, I see you've been reading yes, the book. I, I recommend it to you. They've been reading. Uh, <laughs> uh, for for those uh, little little plug, that's uh, Active Measures. Uh, mm-hmm. Thomas Ridd's very good good book so far. Um, but yeah, so even just going back to that, there's for there's a basis for for what you said that it, it, it's possible. Mm-hmm. You know, in in this in this world in this realm, you know, it's. Yeah, everything is possible. Right. Uh, <laughs> it's, no, it's true. It's very much true. So, but I think you something you we could also see if if that is the 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 case similar to what happened with the Zimmerman you know, Zimmerman telegram. Um, it, it could if if another country, you know, might have manufactured you know this mm-hmm. and has has thus you know let you know let it go to uh, blame on the the Russians and APT twenty nine. Um, there could be strategic, strategic incentives there, mm-hmm. you know, um, it's kind of what I, I tried to write my, my master's dissertation on is how strategic culture is, is starting to play that mm-hmm. role in, in cybersecurity and in cyber warfare in a mm-hmm. way that, you know, it might, you know, thus, thus far in, in our analysis of cyber attacks and in cyber warfare just haven't, you know, quite, you know, put one and two, one and two to, together. Right. But certainly, at least in in the research that I was able to do, pending you know COVID COVID nineteen uh, restrictions uh, to libraries and, and other information, uh, there it, it does there does seem to be a connection mm-hmm. uh, between how states are choosing to operate in cyberspace mm-hmm. and their their own and and their their own actions um, and, and their own incentives. Um, so certainly it, it, it could be a possibility, but, you know, we could just be fi- you know, finally starting to see them start to play in, mm-hmm. in a, on a, on a much major scale that's affecting more than, more than just governments, but the individuals themselves. Right. Because like you were saying, if it's, if Microsoft is involved, individual, you know, individuals are more so at risk right. than say the Pentagon is hacked or right. the Department of the Treasury. Right. Um, and before I kind of continue and kind of open it up to David or, or um, Tyrese, I, this rem- this reminds me of when um, the Office of Personnel Management was hacked. And 24 million people, Americans, who all have a degree of security clearances, all their information were then found on the black market. Um, you, like that, and that, you know, that was a few years back. Um but just to show the sheer size of how these the these cyber operations even let's say they may not Im- impact your life right now uh, if your personal information if you're one of the 24 million or so americans whose information is now floating out there in the black market to be purchased by just anybody that can have dire implications in the future um especially if for example you're uh, if your information is usurped by an individual that participates in transnational drug traffickings or any type of illicit tradings and uses your information um, to participate in these endeavors, then you have a problem 
where you have a bench warrant for your arrest because you did something bad in Colombia. Like that, that this is something that actually I feel is that Washington has to remove its shackles of 20th century thinking. Um, the 21st century warfare or just conflict is not great. It's, it's not just in the black and white 20th centuries. It's not, it's not conventional. No, we're 21st century is, is 21st century conflict resolution, diplomacy, um, or even just national security is all now based in asymmetrical hybrid warfare mentalities. If that mentality is not implemented on a massive scale, politically speaking, the United States, including the West, that means your country too, Tyrese, um, will, will fall behind. And that's just the truth. You, the West has not updated the notions of what it means to be victorious anymore. We literally stopped using the word victory um, after World War II uh, for the notions of that victory has this certain st has a certain stigma now where if you're victorious in a, an armed conflict, it's it has this connotation of well, you unfortunately had to essentially go beyond the pressure point. Um, to force another country to surrender, including, unfortunately, having to do some things that you may not morally uh, believe in, but you had to do it in order to win. Um, with this, this dying mentality in the West, um, we're seeing, especially now in cyber warfare, also known as you know, the fifth domain, um, there's no such thing, unfortunately, as morals um, in trying to determine what's best for security. Um as globalization and technology and especially information technology is expanding the individual life is now exploitable by adversarial powers usually it's just institutions usually it's just the military infrastructure now because we have flat screens because we have the the um the ring um with doorbell that you can see who's outside your home. All of that is exploitable now by cyber operations that could then utilize our personal information. For for example, what the Chinese are doing with artificial intelligence to expand their artificial intelligence. They need a massive population to garner information and use that information to expand their information technologies for face recognitions, for drone technologies, for um, artificial intelligence and to expand the the capabilities of their own um, their firewall the great firewall that they use um, so uh, with that I think that we have a really we have a strategic brain drain here in the West especially when it comes to cyber warfare we have this fantasy of like oh this is going to be like conventional weapon or uh, conventional warfare but with like Terminator robots. No, that's not how that is not how this is going to work. Um, if you look at the, the policies of hybrid warfare, especially by the Russians, um, that was kind of really brought into life by the current chief of the general staff, Valery Grazimov. It was to literally maximize the the notions of the understandings of warfare by incorporating all facets of civil society, including the Internet and kind of conducting warfare essentially but under the pain threshold to instigate a conventional warfare so if we're they say if it is the russians and they did this if they did this to the united states well 
what what else did they do to Germany, to Italy, United Kingdom, to Israel? Like these are very important questions that, as we're starting to realize that the Russians have essentially been at our cybersecurity apparatus since March. Where else have they been since then or prior to March? So Tyrese or David, if you want to kind of give your your input on this, I, I'm truly fascinated to hear this, uh, what you have to say, not just from now a British standpoint with Tyrese, but also um, as well from you, David. So whichever one of you I want to go uh, David, gonna get first. Oh, uh, sure. I, I don't really mind. Um, I'll go first, I guess. Yeah. Um, I have I've written a few notes here of interesting oh, points and other caveats, but no. I mean, to, I second pretty much everything that you guys were saying, mm -hmm. and this um, this time period that we're living in is just you know. From a, from my historical background, with my with the history classes that I took in college, you know, history is often told by the winners. But history, what makes history is the experience of the individual. And you know, let's. And I also just want to say before I forget, like, let's not pretend that it's just other, just not just non-West actors that are doing these disinformation campaigns like look what happened in Iraq with mm -hmm. the following that with 9-11 like the United States also takes part in cyber warfare type operations that we may or may not agree with same okay. with what happens when Russia or China try to um, attack us but I just wanted to put that out there just yeah, no, to yeah, say no, that absolutely. we're not you know gotta we're not dem <laughs> democracy and all and freedom of speech but no this um, this new you know, this new, what you said, Samaj, the strategic brain drain, really, that's, that really, for me, it's fully sums up, especially with, like, the United States does not have a strategy. What I can see from my perspective with what I read for the, like, there's no, you know, we look at China and, you know, we see, we see the devil's head with China and, the media tells us that but they their strategy is for the long run it has been like regardless of what we view xi jinping's lifetime appointment to be or their own freedom of their own lack of freedom of speech or what whatnot like there's a strategy and it's working and what is the problem here especially in in the west is that there there doesn't seem to be a coherent strategy and um, you know, like, like you guys were saying, and like, I, I'm going to keep reiterating, like, there's always going to be these broad perspectives of history and politics that is what is going to be focused on, but it really comes down to the individual, the, the individual and whether you're affected by that or not is also important to point out because mm -hmm. somebody, if somebody's account is, is hacked and yours isn't, that doesn't disqualify you from, you know, showing empathy and also caring about it. Mm -hmm. I also, this is an even broader topic that I've been thinking about as well. It's like in this t time period and, um, where everybody's in quarantine still, um, and just having all this time to 
just a lot more time to be able to read into things and stay informed. And with the George Floyd, with everything that happened with George Floyd and everything, like it really, for me, it boils down to the availability of information and where it is that people learn their information and how that information is verified or not. Because there's a reason, there are reasons why our country is so polarized. It's because people live, including ourselves, we live in our own information bubbles. Mm -hmm. And it's really scary because we see what happens every day in the news and we're like, holy crap, how could, how could somebody believe that? Mm -hmm. Like, regardless of where you stand politically, how could somebody believe that? But it all comes back to where people get information and, mm -hmm. and our own trust in that information and how the government is preventing foreign actors or not mm -hmm. from stopping flow, stopping us from getting the information that we mm -hmm. need or protecting what we hold dear. So this is like, I, like you said, Smaj, this is just fascinating and we could just go off on so many tangents, but <laughs> from my own, from my own perspective, um, these, uh, this future of war, cyber warfare and warfare, if we could even call it warfare, because we, you know, in the end, you hope you're not in war with other countries. You hope that you can resolve conflict through diplomatic and other peaceful means. But um, this strategy, this strategic brain drain, is something that I don't think is, from what I listen to in podcasts and and what you read in the mass media and whatnot. Like, strat the United States and the West need a strategy. We need a, a coherent strategy that mm -hmm. the experts are on board with. And, mm -hmm. That's a utopia, obviously, but mm -hmm. that's just my kind of my perspective. I don't know if you guys want to add anything or if Tyrese wants to go now. So, sure, yeah. Um, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm <laughs> by no means an expert. You know, I help uh, you know companies sell things online. So, <laughs> but um, I guess what I have is is more of a more of a question or a point, really. Mm -hmm. Like, if you think about it, like. If it is, you know, these countries, Russia and China, mm -hmm. pushing our buttons, how far does that go until, you know, where does it stop? Where do we, where does like these, uh, you know, NATO nations react, such as the UK, mm -hmm. US, Germany, etc.? You know, what can we do to our, to um, to protect ourselves? And is the best defense offense? Mm -hmm. That's actually an interesting. Kelsey, you go first, and then I'll follow up. Yeah, just because I, I I was remembering something uh, from from school because school is helpful. Uh, <laughs> I, I I was in uh, one class uh, that talked about cyber policy uh, and and security, and th there were two lectures where we talked about uh, it, two separate lectures where one we talked about Estonia. And the other we talked about with with NATO, and the reason that I'm kind of putting them a, a, a bit together in this very brief point, you know, because we could go off on a tangent about both of those points, um, is that when Estonia um, was was uh, was hacked and their critical infrastructure mm -hmm. was kind of shut shut down, mm -hmm. uh, pretty much so that you know nobody could do anything. Uh, Estonia had gone to NATO because they had they, they did their assessment and they thought, okay, well, based on all these the, the circumstantial evidence that, mm -hmm. that's surrounding everything, this is very likely to be Russia. And so they went to NATO and they asked to trigger trigger Article Five, mm -hmm. you know, which 
we you know we we all know (laughs) our article five is um and nato said no they there there wasn't you know a basis for it because as we're starting to find out in Mm -hmm. in the fallout of the these recent these recent hacks which to people who study cybersecurity, this is not really news right um is that there are no rules there are there's there's no rules there's no this is what what cyber warfare is which is the point that you know david david was making mm-hmm. uh you know what, what even is cyber warfare what even is cyber war What's right. The, right the difference be- between them so we're in we're, it, it's i feel like we're starting to hit that breaking point mm-hmm. because this has become so mainstream in in the the news you know mm-hmm. watch the news that normally cyber doesn't come up and now it's coming up like mm-hmm. every single day um so i think we're at least starting to hit starting to hit that point but tyrese you touched on i think a, a huge a huge uh point that needs to start to be addressed sooner rather than later before mm-hmm. a, a cyber attack starting start to cause more damage than information or Mm-hmm. tools being stolen oh, there's a few like um before i kind of comment on tyrese i'm gonna go back to what david said about how we live in our own bubbles of um dave what, what did you say exactly um you said you're, we live in our own bubble well of, we all we all live within our own information bubbles right okay so now here's the thing what a, what do we do then when an adversarial power gains access to that bubble not just through cyber operations because then you well then you can classify disinformation in a way as cyber cyber warfare cyber operations you understand that the original intentions um especially by the soviet union in the 1920s uh when they were doing disinformation campaigns was was to lie to the west about their actual military strength um that was the original intention for the establishment of literally an entire office for disinformation that was the first thing was to eventually to establish an alternate reality. Well, what happens when your bubble is already an alternate reality and you and your reality and let's say 2% of the population have the same reality because you listen to the same mass media platforms. But then that mass media platform is then targeted by not just disinformation campaigns or also cyber warfare operations from adversarial powers that utilize your grievances against the centralized state to cause an exacerbated polarization effect. That's what we saw leading up to the 2016 election. That's what we saw in the 2018 midterm election. We're seeing that now in the 2020 uh, Georgia runoff elections where Cyber warfare and cyber operations are so vast is a spectrum in itself that you can't really establish a centralized strategy to how to conduct cyber warfare because they come in various different degrees. Some of them are very malignant with hostile intentions and the onslaught. Other times where it could still be malignant, but it's not malignant until two years later. The problem is, is that as also what Kelsey brought up is that cyber operations aren't really classified as part of a um as far as grounds for a conventional response you 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 do cyber disinformation attacks but it kills nobody so you're going to do a conventional attack against a country to do that no 
because it's dis disproportional um, as far as the, the usage of force. However, then we get into the notions of, well, what if the cyber operation shuts down a dam and it kills 30,000 people? Well, then can we do a conventional warfare strike? Maybe. Or are you going to retaliate with a cyber operation of your own? The problem is, is that unfortunately, cyber defenses are not catching up with cyber offensive capabilities. We see this now where you have this, this Russian attack on the United States has been here since March. We still don't know the degree of the destruction or the information that Russia was able to receive or do. We don't know. And most likely we won't know for another couple of months that, or at least years. We don't know. We're still talking about the OPM hacks. That was years ago. So now to go to Tyrese's question, uh, is there anything really we can do as far as to protect the individual or should this just be something that we just accept as the process of globalization and more people become part of the Internet? Um, the problem is for the United States, especially when it comes like to the Internet and those that provide um, cyber software programs, it's primarily, especially since 2014, all in private hands. Because it's all in private hands, there's not really much that the government can do um, because then now you have to go into contractual agreements. You have to go into, well, yeah, you can have access to this, but you can't have access to that. You can't, it's, it's, it gets very mundane um, and it just enlarges not a government bureaucracy, but a corporate bureaucracy. And when, when you're dealing with corporate bureaucracies, you're dealing with literally NDA agreements other types of accessibility contracts go into, well, I remember, for example, when the F-35 um, program was hacked um, by the Chinese, um, there was there was actually a book, a book that I'm reading. I'm blanking on it. I'll let you know when I, when I remember it. But it's in, literally it's in the first chapter where an Air Force um, veteran, essentially, he wanted to find out, well, how is it that the Chinese were able to really hack into these types of um, these projects without raising any alarms? And so he went to the Lockheed, Lockheed, uh, Lockheed Martin. He went to Boeing. He went to uh, General Dynamics, um, the, the main U.S. Uh, military contracting um, organizations. And he asked them, I want to see, give me access to one of your laptops that your employers use. Um Lucky Martin didn't send an employee. They sent us a, a, a team of lawyers. I sent a team of lawyers. Like, well, why do you want to see our uh, our computers? Well, clearly you've been hacked. Um, so I kind of want to see just how much damage has happened. Um, so I, then I can provide assessment to the Pentagon. They gave him a computer right out the box, not one that was used, but one that has not been touched, that was just delivered. And he's like, well, what is it? I can't utilize this because clearly it hasn't been touched. I need to get into your systems. The problem, Tyrese, is that a lot of times these corporations that depend on uh, contracts with the government, they don't want to disclose where they messed up. They don't want to disclose where they failed on security projects. Because then you mess with their money and then the government doesn't trust them with these big deal projects. It wasn't known really um, that the Chinese were able to hack um, to certain parts of the F-35 until one of our officials actually went over there. She was our Secretary of Defense in 2017, 2018. 
and realized that the Chinese were able to produce a variant of what looked similarly, at least physically, to the F-35. Um, the pro this is part of their problem because it's complex to determine, well, how can we protect ourselves where we're still thinking in 20th century strategic mindsets? You can't. You, no. you can't secure yourself against adversaries who don't abide by the rules of conventional warfare with just modern technology. It's like how ISIS was able to literally recruit people from France and the United States through things like Telegram, Facebook, and Twitter, but are able to literally implement a war of attrition against the United States as the most technologically advanced military in the world. Theoretically, we're supposed to be able to destroy them but that's because they do not operate on a conventional mindset nobody wants to go against the united states conventionally because if we do it will literally be like golf war one two and three it's the truth can i yeah, add something so yes 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 i'm just shaking my, my legs are just i'm so excited because all this stuff is so fascinating <laughs> but I was just going to, I'm going to go on to your point, what you said about the private hands, yeah. money, you know, and this, this broad question that we're talking about, about what are, what are we supposed to do when our information, if our information bubbles are hacked and it's turned into an alternative reality where we mm -hmm. get our, our information because information is everything. Education is everything. But it, it really comes down to, I think, especially in Western dem democracies in general, where it's like this question of how far, like, what is it going to take for governments to take the next step to, and what is it going to take for the individual to realize, you know, have trust in the government and be able to understand that and, and people are, people are going to have to give up certain rights at some point because and and this this trust this social contract that Hobbes talked about hundreds of years ago is still so present because without that trust between the sovereign and the population or the individual then these questions are going to continue to arise. Things are going to continue to get hacked. There's going mm -hmm. to continue to be no solidified strategy. Mm -hmm. So to, what is it going to, t really the question I think is what is it going to take for um, people to realize and not only people, the average citizen, but for governments to put aside personal interests mm -hmm. and, you know, work together with mm -hmm. the, what the population is, is, is dealing with and i just thought of this immediately when we talked about this when you were talking about this 20th century warfare mindset all you got to do is look at the age of all the politicians in office to know that we're still in the 20th century <laughs> i mean you're not wrong uh, you can't disagree with that regardless no, I, I of where you stand you. politically right. just look look at our look at our look at the president elect even though we're going to be having two different inaugurations apparently it's nuts it's it's true. I'm, but I mean, even I'm glad you brought that up because even that can be utilized for disinformation and cyber operations. I mean, we, we just saw it in this. We just saw like we're still debate. People are still debating whether or not Russia hacked 
got into the impact the election in 2016 that happened four years ago you know every election now is is really a new set of anxiety mm-hmm. for cybersecurity experts i, I can't th- imagine what it's like because every I, it just feels like and it, it's it's now putin's strategy and china's strategy and iran and iran's strategy to undermine democracy through disinformation mm-hmm. it's because it, it, it works the thing with democracies, well, now, now that you brought that up, that kind of goes now into another segue. We talk about cyber warfare and disinformation, and you know, Kelsey, you can jump into this as well. Is that um, democracies have a very, very difficult time when it comes to addressing and combating disinformation because of the foundations of what democracies are supposed to be, and that's free open fair society is the free marketplace of ideas and that the the understanding is that naturally the ideas that are iffy and shouldn't be accepted are just kind of washed away for the ideas that promote competition um growth prosperity but the problem is what happens when you let you have a country such as the united states where we are so geographically isolated from everybody else where Intellectually speaking, we don't have to really be concerned about the realities of other people. So then we settle into our own bubble of blissful ignorance. Well, now we are seeing the exploitation of that blissful ignorance by disinformation and cyber operations, where we have this mindset, and this mindset really just pisses me off. Um, it really does, uh, because I'm just like, we have this notion of, we're just going to continue these faulty policies until it fully crumbles into failure. And then once it fails, then we'll change it. No, that's not how reality works. Okay. That is not how this works at all. You know, we are literally the only country right now as far and even the West right really, um, that, we will accept short-term victories. It's like, oh, look, total victory right there. Well, no, just because you shrinked ISIS from literally the size of Texas to a city block in Times Square doesn't mean that you won. It doesn't. Simple for the simple fact that now ISIS is in Africa. ISIS is expl- is now much more dangerous in Africa. It's like newsflash, you're never going to defeat ISIS. You can't because ISIS has now implemented itself as a brand of ideological thinking where you had people who, for example, in the United States, the most people, the people that were more susceptible to the ISIS disinformation and recruitment campaigns were actually middle to somewhat well-off Americans who were just disgruntled from their own blissful, ignorant bubble. ISIS tapped into that exploited them and then allowed them to give gave them the foundations to do their quote unquote their grievances i.e lone wolf shooters this is the power that we're seeing of the internet and cyber where i could literally i could literally instigate a conflict thousands of miles away and have no accountability and then if you track it back to my country that wasn't me no Mm -mm. iran does it all the time 
with their with their proxies, and then their proxies are conducting cyber warfare. Mm-hmm. As as does Russia. As does Russia. As does China. As does North Korea. North Korea apparently makes the best hundred dollar bills. Apparently, and the problem now is these countries cooperate with each other. Russia helped train the Iranian cyber capabilities. So did China. Russia and China, as well as Iran, cooperate covertly and through clandestine operations with North Korea. When we slapped sanctions onto North Korea, as well as Russia, how people ask, well, how did they keep their currency afloat? Well, they traded gold with each other. That's what they did. It's outside the American SWIFT account that dominates uh, digital financial transactions. I can get around your your cyber defenses or your financial things if I don't participate in it or I have other alternatives to get around you. The reasons why U.S. sanctions don't really work as much anymore because we overuse them. We overuse them to the point where people find alternative currencies to then attach their their money and their transactions to, i.e. the Chinese RMB, um, or even the Turkish lira in northern Syria, who now have made that their official currency. People don't know that, but the, the, the city of Idlib now officially uses the Turkish lira as a currency to do business transactions. Hence why when we still have sanctions on Turkey, there's still people utilizing the Turkish currency. So then we get back to cyber operations. People are saying, well, why was the Treasury hacked? Well, if we're in 21st century that deals with not necessarily strategic geopolitics, but financial transactions between ones and zeros, would you not also want to be able to hack someone's treasury? If you wanted to know how a country stores and maneuver their nuclear stockpile, would you not want to try to hack the sole department that deals with your nuclear stockpile? You would. Or how um, mail, which is very important in national security, is able to be to be able to be transported from one coast to the coast, you will want to hack into that. You will want to hack into these these private companies to get access to technologies that you could then utilize for your own benefit. As Kelsey alluded to, cyber warfare only made the original operations of sabotage, espionage, as well as disinformation and propaganda cost effective easier diverse and who can do it it's very simple it's free in most cases um but the problem is it's more lethal because the population is much larger and once you do it then you yourself can't contain the cyber the impacts of that cyber information look at stuxnet stuxnet literally impacted countries as far as india like that that's the problem where we're at right now so this i mean we just went on a little tangent but i don't even care because <laughs> it's it's important information it Go is off on it all day it, <laughs> I'm, this, I'm telling you um but going back to what tyrese asked that in order for and kind of what david alluded to in order for countries and individual people to protect themselves against these now very large size cyber attacks down to the very 
small one that Iran likes to use with DDoS attacks, uh, which now it gets to a point where when certain attacks happen, you can kind of pinpoint which country did it because it becomes their, their avenue of approach to you. Um, we have to have a new, now we're going back to John Locke philosophy, social contract. We need a new social contract between government and people. The 20th century social contract, or even the foundation, the, the foundational social contract of American-style liberal democracy, especially the federal system, what we're seeing now, it's, it's crumbling, unfortunately. Um, and we're seeing a lot of mindsets that are complicit in that crumbling for the sake of, well, it's not fully broken, so we don't need to fix it yet. But the problem is with democracies, democracies don't die or get destroyed by invading forces. They die from within. If you're going to conduct cyber warfare disinformation campaigns, your main target is not really going to be the government. It's going to be the people. Especially and I, now. And I, will make the, and okay. I will make the point that like that's important to make when you're talking about disinformation, which is that oftentimes disinformation has a hint of truth. Yeah, true. Very which true. is so important because that truth is what can make disinformation campaigns stick it is right. what can make them work and it is what can turn them into a whole campaign right no, um, absolutely like so, WikiLeaks. and and it, they can also make them harder to detect and mm -hmm. harder to deter right because no. if there is hint if there's if there's some truth to it that you know, say comes from a reliable, you know, a reliable source mm -hmm. according to whatever individual is is reading it. That that can be the the truth, right? That can be the truth to them, and they they won't investigate it further. They'll say, "Oh yes, that that point is right," but oh, I didn't know that part of it, right. and then they'll go off. Mm -hmm. So and sometimes, it's, oh, go ahead, Taris. I was going to say, you said, you know, you've seen it in in, in the twenty sixteen U.S. elections with Cambridge Analytica um, and advertising on Facebook. It's completely changed, in my opinion, anyway. Uh, the what's the best way to say? It? The U.S. in terms of politics is is completely polarized, like ridiculously polarized. You look at you look at the U.K. and uh, let's just say I don't envy the, the the political situation at the moment in the U.S. Um, so. Yeah, you can you can you can easily see how easy it is to manipulate people's uh, political views and how they see you know their their, their fellow citizens. Um, so which is which is very scary and obviously you've seen you know we've got you've seen domestic terrorism mm -hmm. rise in the US. Um, so yeah, it's, it's it'd be very dangerous if. Uh, well, I mean, what do you think? Do you think do you think the the, uh, the that's a result of foul play by foreign powers or do you think that's that's something else. Go ahead, well, or David. Whatever you I can to. give some ins a little more insight to this because I actually took my my final degree capstone class on American polarization. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> not, I'm not an expert by any, <laughs> but um, I can give a little insight. So, yes, it's the 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 thing is that it's it's a very very it's America's been polarized since before our founding, since our founding. Our our constitution was written by a few white, wealthy landowners mm -hmm. in one room 
in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Hey, so shout out to Philly where uh, bad things happen. Yes, yes. And <laughs> um a certain part of African Americans or black Americans, whatever whatever term you prefer, were consi- were not even considered a full person. Mm-hmm. So um race has to do with it, racial mm-hmm. politics. The, one of the biggest turning points for polarization and for pol- political alignments in general was the um, election of Franklin Delano Roosevelt. And following that, the um, the campaign of uh, Gary Goldwater, where oh, Goldwater. there was a certain portion of the population in the South that were... Um, Democrats, the mm-hmm. old Democratic Party of the slave-owning South, where there was a massive shift in voter alignments mm-hmm. um, during that time. And um, as um, – I, I can't – I just – I wish I would taken some notes on this if I would known this was going to come <laughs> up. But essentially what happened was – this this the new this introduction of Goldwater in the sixty four presidential election mm-hmm. as a Republican anti civil rights candidate it was an easy hur- um, heuristic viewpoint for those mm-hmm. white voters to who were racist who supported slavery generations right. before or were still currently racist to have a new candidate in a new party mm-hmm. and so since then this voter alignment has totally flipped heads. And, you know, when people, when people say, Oh, well, well, if you're a Democrat, then you supported slavery, politics change, history changes. Yeah. It's more than, more than that. So race is definitely a big thing. Economic inequality is also very mm-hmm. large. I have a few, I have a few uh, books recommendations that we could put in the, in the description of this episode, if anybody's interested, because I mean, I, like I said, I I took a class on it and I I wrote my final paper um, in college Mm -hmm. doing a comparative study of black lives matter movement and the civil rights movement. So, but going full circle after that tangent, um, going back to what Tyrese said about why, why he thinks we're so polarized we also, you know, we also had a civil war here too, which is a lot of some some things that people often forget about. So, it's it's a plethora of factors, and it's not all stemming from one thing. I'm not saying yeah, that no, you were yeah, saying that. Yeah. It's not all stemming from one thing. It's mm. or one time period. It's mm-hmm. just, and every country deals with its own polarization. You know, mm-hmm. I've also taken a class on. It was called nationalism in Eastern Europe, like. Mm-hmm. Europe's history of nationalism is in a way what what um, America's polarization kind of has been and, and racial politics specifically. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it's 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 a topic we could talk about for hours. Like, I mean, I took a whole class on it and mm-hmm. we read whole books on it and all that stuff. So that's kind of my so rundown of it. Yeah. It is important. Um, and kind of to, to tie it all around, um, especially after what David just said, um, the United States once after the 1944 Bretton Woods Conference, uh, which kind of established the American-led rules-based liberal international order, and then now, especially now in the 21st century, it globally invited um, 
global viewers to our socioeconomic afflictions that then become exploitable by current disinformation and cyber warfare operations. Um, I mean, the Russians have been doing it since the Black Panther Party. Um, they, they literally wanted the Black Panther Party and the Ku Klux Klan to establish a race war um, to literally undermine the United States um, to essentially win the Cold War. Um, and now we're going further well, into the future now with 2016 where you had Russian bots where the same day, the same time, same location, they established a pro-Trump uh, event, anti-Trump event with a pro-Hillary event, anti-Hillary event, the same place at the same time at the same location, hoping that it will instigate violence. Um, unfortunately, uh, when it comes to these cyber warfare operations, the, as we said earlier, the United States is not innocent in, in this realm. Um, we literally, since the 1990s, stated that the cyber domain must be dominated by the United States, and it is a new tier to warfare. That's pretty aggressive. If you, you know, if you ask me, if you're saying that we have to dominate this um, in order to incorporate it as part of our national security plan. But what we're seeing is that how can you try to dominate something that's so 21st century with 1930s, 1940s mentality? You can't. You like I said, it's not going to be World War Three or conventional warfare with high-end technology. It's not because we're losing in Afghanistan. We're losing in Iraq. We have tried in Syria. We have. We're trying with counterterrorism operations across Africa, and what we're seeing essentially is that it does not matter how advanced your military is. It does not matter how large your intelligence agency or apparatus is at the end of the day especially now that if i have the technology to do even small scale cyber operations to either give you false information to you know play puppet master with your public opinion to expand polarization i'm going to do it and because it's so it's so asymmetrical and it's against your conventionally based ideology and, and, and worldview, I have a high probability and low risk of winning. I have an even lower risk for of becoming um, becoming known as the perpetrator with plausible deniability. We know Iran is behind so much, so much stuff. We know <laughs> it's there. And sometimes Iran is so arrogant, they'll put their flag after they leave. Like, yeah, we did it. <laughs> but it's like, because our we're just now, quote unquote, really trying to understand and formulate cyber warfare and cyber operations and cyber strategies towards national security. But you have the Chinese that have been doing it. We've been learning it for 20 years. The Chinese literally studied us since the Gulf, the first Gulf War. Yeah. And realized, yeah. okay, well, the Soviets just fell. So we're just going to take what they're good at and not make their mistakes. And we just witnessed America's digitized military. So we're going to see that. And we're just going to continue to monitor them. And they continue to do that until 2014. 
And then now, like, what, where did China come from? They've been there. They've been quiet because they watched what we were doing and our flaws and figured we're going to take what they do best and we're going to shun what they do worst. And now China's in Central Europe. China's in Africa. Central South America. And going back to what this goes really all full circle back to the first thing we started talking about with what uh, Kelsey was saying about the attribute to cybersecurity where we can attribute this these attacks from right. um and i just wanted to add to that that list of the 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 things that the west is failing at let's not pretend that we've beaten china china has beaten us we the and uh, something's always stuck out to me i went to this guest lecture at, while i was at iwp last fall on um it was a study that a history professor did on um a comparison of the Hong Kong protests mm-hmm. to um, uh, Athenian Greece. Mm-hmm. And um, what I'm trying to get to now is that um, we're, the, the, if, in terms of China, right, it's not about this argument about cybersecurity needs to be more about winning. It, yeah. it can't just be about that. You know, it, you have to out-innovate your opponent or mm-hmm. find a way to work alongside them or, or it's just, so I just wanted to add that because I just thought that was also important to kind of put into this conversation. We have, and you know, we've been talking, geez, for like an hour and 10 minutes now, which is amazing. Originally this was going to be about the solar winds thing, but now this is just a conglomerate of these topics. And you know what? I'm for it. I'm still going to post that, it. That, that's what happens when you talk about these issues that you just, you find more things to, to talk about and right. more things that you need to discuss. And such a vast topic as well, isn't it? It is because you, it, it, it you is. just, it in is. order to resolve modern problems, you can't just look at it as a singular event or, um, uh, or like a case study. You have to look at it and yeah. other types of nuances because everything is so connected nowadays that you can't resolve cyber warfare or at least cyber um, weaponries without also looking then at corporate America and their regulations and how and look at the, the you know the standing of the utilizing of the internet connect that then to energy it's just, you can't just say I'm just going to look at cyber warfare and that yeah. alone no that's not yeah. and 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 I think and I think some some companies are starting to 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 understand that. Uh-huh. You know, I was I think David earlier when he was introducing himself talked about some of the unique experiences that that he has, and I'll I'll, I'll plug <laughs> plug in one that I was really fortunate to have, and especially fortunate because it it occurred in February before everything kind of kind of closed down with COVID. So the how fortunate I feel I was, I was able to do this is just can't be expressed enough. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was able to participate in the Cyber 912 competition that happened in, in London, um, which was really a really unique experience because it was different schools came together uh, on different teams and we were given an issue that was going to, you know, that was likely to affect the, the UK government. Mm-hmm. It took place, in, took place in the UK, so it was quite logical for it to, to go in that direction. And... It required you to look at these issues. The, the issue at this time was focused on telecommunications, which that's a whole other thing that's that we old. can start to talk about. Um, but 
that 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 was that was the focus and Mm -hmm. there were so many different directions you had to look at um uh satellite images you had to look at deep fakes you had to look at so many you know so many um um you know different different aspects and i forget Mm -hmm. where i was (laughs) going with that um but oh yes uh but the so the but the reason i bring that up is because when we when all the participants and all the coaches attended the events um the major thing that kept coming up was that they are they understand that cybersecurity is no longer a technical issue mm-hmm. the the aspects of of the, the the nitty-gritty technical stuff and the people who understand coding and that that's not going away mm-hmm. you know i don't think that that's going away but they're starting to realize we can't just have the techies we can't just right. have the people in the jeans and the hoodies you know all, all, all the time we need mm-hmm. people who understand you know strategy we need Mm -hmm. people who understand policy we need people who understand finance we need people who understand health because all of these things are being uh, uh, affected you have you have wanna cry that you shut down the 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 nhs Mm -hmm. um yeah like oh yes i'm sure you're very familiar with that um but yeah but you're seeing cyber attacks affecting all these different sectors. And so I think you're, you're starting to see some companies realize that mm-hmm. well, yeah, ex- exactly what we're, you know, we're, we're discussing, which is that you need to have all these different, you know, pr- perspectives. It's, right. it's now kind of bridging the, the gap between the, the private sector and the government, mm-hmm. which in of itself has its own risks mm-hmm. because if you connect a private company to the government and say, if the private, you know, in what's recently happened, the, you know, the, the, the private sector is hacked. Mm-hmm. You, you, you could have that, that malicious actor go through that private, into the government. That private entity and find the specific, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, the specific company that, yep. you know, they're, they're working with mm-hmm. or some particular government or a specific individual mm-hmm. and, and gain, gain their, gain that information that way. But you know, so, to continue that, here's the other problem. When corporate corporate America, especially when it comes to information technologies and defense and stuff like that, they don't want the government to get involved in the operations. But when they get hacked, they go to the government and say, this is part of national security. This is your responsibility. No, you can't have it both ways. I'm sorry, not sorry. You can't. You're not yeah, going to and say. But I think people are there. That like everyone's starting to to realize. You know, particularly in in light of the, all the events of recent weeks. Right. You know, FireEye, and now you know with the the the, the Treasury yep. and the other aspects of the the government. People are starting to realize. Oh my gosh. Oh my mm-hmm. gosh. You know, in in the same in virtually like the same week, same month. You can have a private one of the premier cybersecurity companies hacked, and multiple government agencies be hacked all in the same time span. They said so the the relationship between the two is it's it's so important to to it's it's true be addressed. They said of the three hundred thousand customers that SolarWinds has, eighteen thousand of them receive the tainted um, software. 
nine four hundred and ninety nine out of the Fortune five hundred companies utilize Solar Wind. So we're just not gonna talk about. And that's the other problem when you solely base on a single software program, a singular software company. And if you have a Trojan horse that goes through that singular software company, just because they're much more cost effective, you don't want to spend more money for, which I can understand. Sometimes we have our cheap moments. Um, <laughs> um, I'm going to make the, 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 the nerdy reference right. that, that, it, that it, it's kind of like the, it, it, the solar winds was kind of like the one ring to rule them all. Right. <laughs> Um, Lord of the Rings fans is like the, the, the one ring you, you, you have that, you know, you, you get, you get access to, to everything. everything. Um, but with that, I think this is actually going to have to become a continual thing that we do primarily on like a weekly basis. Cause I just love this, this general discussion of just geopolitics and, and foreign policy stuff. Um, so this is actually the longest episode I've ever done and I, I loved every minute of it. So, um, we're going to do this more often. Hopefully, we'll try to do this on a weekly basis, depending on schedules, um, and try to bring other people on as we just talk about um, geopolitics. Um, so with that, I'm going to end it here, because this is about to be a whole lot of editing. <laughs> Not just editing, but just to make sure that everything, um, I can hear everything. Um, so, you know, Kelsey, thank you. Um, David, thank you. Tyrese on the other side of the pond, thank you. Um me. And My pleasure. This has been a blast. <laughs> Looking so, forward to the next one. So so much fun, Samaj. So much fun. fun. Thank you so much fun. for organizing this. I think we all had a lot of fun. I had nothing else to do today. So. <laughs> 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 wow, I think that makes us all feel really you special, Samaj. We should. I, are, we, are we officially off the record now? Yeah, yeah no, we're not. <laughs> 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 so, um, with that... Um, I'm going to end this now. Until next time, I will speak with you all later.